0: For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Welcome to Beer Markets. This is Bobby Moyer with ACG Wealth Management, and I'm with uh, my colleague, Jimmy Pickert.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Jimmy Pickert, as Bobby just pointed out. Thanks, Bobby.
0: Yeah, Jimmy. Well, welcome. We're kicking off our first podcast. As uh, I said, it's called Beer Markets, and Jimmy and I... Just plan on talking a little bit of the markets, letting our clients and others know what's on our mind, what we think about different things, keep it a little bit casual, and we're going to kick off every episode where we share a beer that we like and maybe spend a minute or two just talking about what it is and not recommending any beers, but just, you know, to keep keep the conversation casual and talk a little bit about what's what we see going on in the markets.
1: Yeah, and, um, you know, I think it's important to say at the outset while we decided to start doing this, and obviously we have our Investor Insights newsletter and video that goes out on a monthly basis, and that's had a really good reception, has a pretty good following, and I think that this was just like the next logical step for ways to stay in front of our listener base and our network, obviously our clients, but other people out in the marketplace that are interested in hearing what, what ACG has to say and what we're looking at in the markets and what investors should be looking at with respect to their portfolios and and their goals.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Jimmy, do you want to open your beer and and share what you're drinking today? And I'll do the same, and and then we'll get into talking about what we're passionate about.
1: Yeah, and I think I'll only do this the first time. I'm going to hold it right up to the mic just so we can get the sound effect of a a can opening. And then our our producer here, Dylan, can work this into every episode going forward. I'm drinking the Hardywood Gingerbread Stout. Um, I've been in Richmond since 2014, but I've never had this beer. So that's the main reason that I'm trying it today. Felt like an imposter not having it until this point. And uh, Jake from the office was kind enough to donate this can to the cause. So cheers.
0: Cheers. And I'm going on a dry January. I try to be a little healthy uh, most of the year and kick off January. So I'm going to actually have a non-alcoholic beer, which I tend to drink all year long. This is Athletic Brewing Free Wave. It's a non-alcoholic hazy IPA that I, I think has a great taste uh, that's similar to the taste of beer without having any alcohol. So they're found in Connecticut. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good non-alcoholic brew.
1: Um, being the first podcast, I think we'll we'll keep it pretty high level, and also just the fact that it's uh, you know the turn of a new year. We just came off a pretty historic 2022. This serves as a good reason to talk about you know what, what happened in 2022, what investors should be feeling about that, and what we are looking at going forward into 2023 um, in the marketplace. And obviously don't want to copy a lot of, or repeat a lot of what we said in our, our Investor Insights video, but um, maybe just a quick recap of, of what happened. It was a tough year in 2022 for stocks and bonds. S&P 500 down 18.1%, the main bond index, the Bloomberg aggregate down over 13. Um, so even if you thought you were pretty well diversified in the stocks and bonds, maybe taking a, a conservative tech, uh, you may have been surprised by the outcome of, of the year in 2022.
0: Yeah, so that, that's great. That's in the past. And as we look to 2023, is it going to be a better year for investors, right? And that's what I think a lot of investors want to know. As much as they don't like 2022, they're hoping to see a turnaround, but there's a lot of pessimism out there. And, you know, again, we talked about some of this in the Investor Insights, but it's logical that you typically feel bad um, coming off such a negative year in your portfolio, whether you are conservative or aggressive. And I think there's there's a couple of points we can take on, you know, looking forward into 2023. And and maybe where I want to start it is something that I, I, I talk about a lot these days, and that's how attractive bonds are um, at these levels. When you look at a, a six-month Treasury today yielding 4.88%, where a year ago was next to zero. Now, Jimmy, that's we, we went from you know nothing to four, almost five percent risk-free rate on a short-term bond was painful, right? You, you said that 13% historic year in the markets, but when we look at today, what's there's an alternative to equities right now and, and that's in the bond market. And I think that's, that's something that investors, it's not a time to sell out of bonds. It's a time to embrace bonds and, you know, not knowing what bonds will do from a performance this year, but you could look at four and a half to six and a half percent return in, 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 with bonds with little movement in rates. And I think that's something to be a very attractive rate uh, where we currently sit.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like we spent the 10 years, leading up to 2022, trying to convince investors that bonds were worth holding on to for their diversification benefits, and that they're just less correlated to stocks. And although, you know, if you were skeptical about that going into 2022, you might be even more so after last year with the declines that we saw in bonds. But the irony is that now more than ever, or at least now more than any time in the past 10 or so years, bonds are... You know, represent a great opportunity in the marketplace, and so obviously, you know, the way that we invest client money, it's it's not based off short-term expectations. But those investors for whom bonds are appropriate for their risk tolerance and their asset allocation, they should feel good about holding those bonds today.
0: Yeah, and and relative to the the yield or the dividend on the S and P 500, you just go back a couple of years and you had over seventy percent of. The, the what comprised the S and P 500 yielding more than the 10-year Treasury, and as of the fourth end of the third quarter, you had only 20%. So a, a big drop in um, opportunities outside if you're looking for yield for older investors. So I think fixed income is somewhere to be really excited, and and maybe we want to transition to talk a little bit more about the equity markets. But um, I, I think bonds is something to, to be excited, and and we should are investors, our clients should continue to hold.
1: Yeah, before we move over to stocks, just one more point on bonds. Do you what should the average investor be thinking about how much interest rate risk they're taking in their bond portfolio today, in your opinion? Obviously, you know, we talk about duration and for those who don't know that term, it basically is a measure of how sensitive the bonds in your portfolio are to a movement in interest rates. So high duration means that your bond portfolio will suffer more as interest rates go up, and they'll do better as interest rates go down. High duration means that you probably suffered more with your bonds last year than someone with low duration. Now the interest rates have come up. where do, What should someone be thinking about when they're investing their bond portfolio?
0: Yeah, on, on one end, we talked about the, the inverted yield curve, meaning the short-term bonds have a higher yield than the 5-year, the, the 10-year, the 20-year, the 30-year. So being shorter on on the yield curve makes more sense currently from a yield standpoint. It's also Jimmy more relative to relevant to what the Fed's doing. And if the Fed is close to being done hiking rates and maybe we get into that later, then uh, you know the short end is is closer to coming down than the long end to some level. So I think, you know, somewhere in that shorter duration still seems to be attractive, but that's also the part of the yield curve that's probably going to come down first. Sure. And you benefit from that, right? When yields come down, bond prices go up. So there'll be a short-term benefit, but you don't get, the, you don't get to extend that yield. Uh, once those, those shorter-term debt reissues, then you might be re, re-upping at a lower interest rate, where if you lock in a longer-term rate, you, you get to hold that a little bit longer and lock that in for a longer period. So I think it's somewhere in that, that shorter duration for now, but at some point, you may it may make sense to extend out, maybe not to ten years, right. but to some some level, um, in that two to five year range.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. So you know, as we move over to the equity market, I, I referenced at the top, S and P five hundred was down over eighteen percent. I think the Nasdaq was down over thirty two percent in twenty twenty two, and one of the more striking things from last year for me was the fact that. It was the largest stocks in the marketplace that really contributed the most towards the towards the decline. You know, generally speaking, if you look at the mega cap tech stocks that for the you know the latter half of the last decade were the darlings of the S and P 500, you're seeing pretty significant declines that surpassed uh, the overall index, the S and P 500 declining. So we have here Apple, the best performing of what I would call mega cap tech, that was down almost 27 percent in 2022. And then if you look at Amazon, for example, that was down about 50%. Tesla, which was a new addition uh, to the S&P 500, that was down 65%. Um, so across the board, those those large mega cap tech stocks really um, dragging the S&P 500 down. And it was the first year in a while, I think, that if you looked at the equal weighted S&P 500, which is basically saying, okay, every single stock within this index is uh, contributing the same, it's weighted the same compared with what it actually is, which is a market cap weighted index. I believe 2022 was the first time in a while where that uh, equal weighted um, index outperformed. And so that's a divergence and something interesting that hadn't happened so far, and I think represents a good lesson for investors who maybe coming into 2022, might have been chasing performance a little bit. And looking at, well, why am I wasting my time in the energy sector, for example? I only want to be in tech because that's the thing that's making money. Well, that
0: was a silver bullet, right? For all those years, everybody all, all wanted to own the darlings. What, what what I use, it? what I have in my pocket, you know, I have a, an Apple in my pocket. I play on Facebook all day. And these stocks have gone up for years. But now they've gone down and, and cut in half. You know, when you talk about Amazon, when you talk about, you know, Meta or Facebook, that's down 65%. It, it's a big drop. And it's... It's also to your point on energy. Energy made up about 3% of the S&P 500 at the start of last year, and that was up 66% last year. So if all you were doing was owning the S&P 500 or owning mega tech like the NASDAQ, it really was a bad year. And and that's kind of that point on diversification and the energy sector. From here, Jimmy, we, do you want to talk more about this or do you want to go on and, and hit about, you know, talk about the back-to-back returns I mean the negativity I just said how positive it is to be in, in bonds right now and, and how much opportunity there is to get a five to six percent return coming off of such a bad year uh, investors might be thinking well let me cash in my equities because we might be having a recession and instead of you know having to remain in the equity markets where we could have more downside
1: yeah I think that looking forward you know we should talk about what investors should be expecting in 2023. And I think it's important to separate that conversation to those who have a decade plus time horizon, for example, in your 401k or other retirement accounts. Chances are this represents a buying opportunity regardless of what happens in 2023. Again, not a recommendation, just a statement of historical fact that when equities are at discounts like they are from where we sit today, they're more attractive than when they're pushing all-time highs. I mean, that's almost Captain Obvious, right, to say that. I think.
0: But it's not easy, right? It's not easy to react that way when the market falls 20% or the NASDAQ falls 33% or 32%. That, well, yeah, now it's more attractive today. The the behavioral, the emotion says, let me get out of this. Let me cut the pain so I don't have any more. And we all know over and over how many studies have been done to show that is the worst thing you could possibly do.
1: Well, it's the only industry where everyone hates a discount, right? Right. And, you know, that's not my original quote. <laughs> I don't know who to attribute it to, but. Um, so I think you have those people, you have um, people who don't need to worry about potentially drawing from their funds anytime in the near future. And then those who are in or near retirement who are rightly more concerned about what 23- 2023 has to has to bring. And we have some, some good data here just about historical um, subsequent year reactions to declines in the marketplace. And one that I'm looking at shows in the 19 instances where the market finished negative, And when I say market, I mean the S&P 500. Going back to 19 times when the S&P 500 finished negative, in the subsequent year, the S&P 500 gained more than 20% over half the time, 50, 53% of the time. And it was range bound, which is plus or minus 5% in that subsequent year, 11% of the time. And that compares with what is likely to happen in any given year, regardless of what happened in 2022 or other negative years, where the S&P 500, going back to 1950, was only positive by more than 20%, about a quarter of the time. And so to summarize that, one way to look at that is that following a negative year like we just had, there's a greater than double chance that the S&P 500 would be have a big gain, like 20% or more, in 2023. Now, we talked about this before we recorded, and I don't want investors to take away the, the thought that, okay, well, I'm gonna play the odds. I think that the market will be up big this year. The main reason that I wanted to include this is just to drive home the point that I bet in 19 out of 19 times over the past, going back to 1950 when the market was negative, investors were feeling like it was a terrible invest in investing environment and they didn't want to be in the stock market but over half of those times if they had stayed in they would have gained more than 20% and that just goes to the behavioral aspect of investing and how tough it is to stay invested
0: yeah and you know I, I agree with what you're saying Jimmy you, you just got to stay in you got to know what your risk tolerance is you, you've got to stick to it because you really don't know and uh, m- you know do i think that economically things are going to get worse this year probably right does that mean that the s&p is going to be negative next year i don't know it, it might be positive it very well easily could could be positive we could have a strong first half of the year and a negative second uh, when we get a recession but but we really don't know when all this is coming in and you know transitioning this conversation a little bit because the market is one thing and staying invested is, is important we all know what drives the market, and that's earnings and the economy. And mm-hmm. you got to throw the Fed in there too, right? We could sit here and talk for an hour about the Fed. Uh, not sure everybody wants to hear about the Fed, but they're going to have some say in, into what we look at from an economic standpoint this year. We we talked all year last year about earnings revisions, and you know if the Fed continues to keep rates where they are, and right now we're looking at another rate hike in November or fir- or December or February 1st, 25 basis points. That might be the last, maybe there'll be another one, but either way, they're they're continuing to hike into, you know, an, an environment that looks to be struggling for some companies. You're starting to hear more and more about layoffs. Um, inflation is high but coming down and that's a that's a strong positive. But, you know, are we going to get those earnings revisions down? And earnings season's kicking off this week. It's it's an exciting time to hear what we're going to hear from these companies economically. Are we going to see these analysts finally revise earnings downward, or are we we not going to see that at this point and we're going to continue where we've been, which could be a, a positive thing for the markets?
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that you can divide it into two camps. Those who think that a recession is inevitable because of what the Fed's doing, regardless of what happens with respect to inflation, and then those who see this possibility for the the needle to be threaded, if you will, to a soft landing. And, you know, honestly, I don't know which camp I'll put myself in, and I won't speak for you either, but it it does seem like we can all agree that inflation coming down is a necessary condition for things to get better. Because if inflation does not come down, which it has over the past five months, that number has been coming down, although it's nowhere near the Fed's target of 2%. If it doesn't come down then the fed's gonna have to keep tightening and that's only going to increase the chance of a recession if it comes down then the question becomes okay well has the tightening that the fed has already done impacted the economy enough to um hit earnings and profit margins for publicly traded companies we've heard tons of different companies primarily in the tech sector announcing layoffs over the second half of 2022 And the term rolling recession has been thrown around a lot of, okay, well, we know the tech sector is hurting right now uh, because they expect as um, the economy weakens, their advertising revenue will decrease. We know the housing market has begun to cool off significantly.
0: Maybe they already had that recession,
1: right? Exactly. But then you, you think about other parts of the economy, travel and leisure and other things that people are doing, I don't know if you've been out to eat recently, but it doesn't look like a recession when you go out to do that. And so it's, it's a unique time, I think. And we don't ever want to say this time is different because there are certain threads that run consistently through, through these cycles. Uh, but I do think that to the extent that the inflation problem that we've seen over the past 12 plus months was more supply chain driven than demand driven, if that supply chain begins to loosen up and that side of the picture, which the Fed doesn't even control, begins to ease, that is a path forward towards a soft landing in my view.
0: Yeah, I'll probably put myself in, I think it's gonna be hard for a soft landing uh, personally. And I think the Fed's in a a little bit of a tough spot, some was there doing, but uh, it's gonna be fascinating to see uh, you know, when the Fed is able to let off because they come back to the 70s. And there is the the mid 70s where you saw the Fed let off. And what happened was inflation peaked back up and they had to redo it and it it led to more pain. And I I think they look back at what happened in history and they're just going to, I think they're going to stay on this. I think they're going to be you know, higher for longer and the economy is already slowing. You talked about housing, you talked about the tech sector, there's layoffs being announced every single day. And I I, I just find it really difficult to see avoiding a recession in this environment. Now, like I said, that doesn't mean the market can't be up in 2023, but I think we we have to see, I think the Fed wants to see a little bit of pain. And I think the worst case scenario is inflation comes down to around that 4% level and the unemployment picture ticks up. And if you get that, the Fed is gonna be stuck. They're, they're not gonna be able to start cutting rates or, or maybe they're able to stop, and they're gonna keep financial conditions tight. And they wanna make sure inflation's done because at the end of the day, they know they could, they could cut rates pretty quickly, stimulate the economy. And they wait for data to come. That's that's always been the knock on the Fed. The Fed sits around and waits for data, even though leading indicators are showing that we're slowing. And they probably shouldn't hike again in, in on, November, on February 1st, but likely they're going to. And, you know, I think um, Powell was out this morning um, just talking about, you know, the need to stay on it and make sure that, that they have inflation under control and price stability is... is important to the, the economy so I think they're I think the market still has it wrong I think the market's still predicting a rate cut later um, in 2023 and I, I just if if we do cut rates in 2023 I think it's because the economy has is spiraling you know and unemployment's ticking up to a not very uncomfortable level way higher than they're predicting uh, so we'll see we don't know I don't know for sure I I, I think it's I think things will get tougher before they get better, but I, I'm not ruling out a positive 2023 either.
1: Yeah, it, it all comes down to timing, as as you've said. You know, we could see the economic situation begin to deteriorate quicker than maybe we're anticipating, and almost like ripping off the bandaid, right? And then you get through to the, you get through that, and if again unemployment ticks up to a certain level that becomes politically unpalatable for what the Fed says their mandate is with regards to unemployment then maybe they start pivoting again. And if you look at the Fed futures today and what's expected, it looks like pretty broad consensus that rates will steadily, the Fed funds rate will be steadily hiked through around maybe September of this year. Uh, But then once you look at December, from where we stand today in January, there are more people saying that rates will be lower, the Fed funds rate will be lower than where we stand today, which obviously is indicative of of a pivot. And so the timing matters. We don't want to be arbitrary and saying, okay, well, what happens at you know from January one to December thirty one? Because at the end of the day, money doesn't work that way. These these calendar figures are arbitrary. But those expecting more pain this year, that you know, they could be right. And I, I think that there are definitely bare cases to make, but it's just a matter of the timing and again staying focused on your long term goals. And making sure that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket with respect to any one theory or expectation about the market.
0: Yeah, and you know what I'm about to say is not meant to be, you know, to attack the Fed. I just think we have to watch what we listen to the Fed saying. I mean, what what, what are they going to say right now? They don't want us to go out and spend money, right? They don't want the consumer to feel good that rate cuts are coming. They want there to be continued caution from consumers whether that means pain of job losses like many people believe they're trying to put out there but at the end of the day they they have to be very hawkish right now because they want to they want to use their words a lot of times to control monetary policy and not not the actions of of the the open market so I, I just think the fed's wrong a lot the the forecasting is wrong analyst forecasts are wrong wall street strategies forecasting is wrong the fed forecast they're doing what's what helps them right now and that they have to speak the way they're speaking so the fact that they have the market believing we're going to see further rate hikes into the second part of the year i i just don't see it i will be really surprised to see another rate hike after February. That would just surprise me. Yeah. I
1: I share your perspective that hiking that late into the year is probably unrealistic. And those Fed funds futures can be very volatile. So you never want to put too much stock in that.
0: Well, and you've seen the numbers, Jimmy, that if you look at inflation, some of the CPI data and inflation data, and and you look at the last three months and annualize it, Inflation is really not that hot right now. It, right. It's somewhere around the, the two to three percent range. Yeah,
1: it's basically in their target. Right, very close to it. Yeah,
0: and that take that removes the base effects, right, of, of the previous year. So, uh, I think in, I think inflation has come down significantly outside of maybe eggs. You know, I, I just can't believe the cost of, of some of these foods out there, and that has nothing to do with the supply chains. But, you know, it, it's those are the things that I think the Fed is just maybe looking the other way right now or they're just trying to continue to play the hard game out there because they cannot show that they're I don't think they want to admit that they're going to stop hiking rates because I think that would just they have the fear that that would promote further buying in the markets or people spending and this is almost over and they, they don't want that.
1: Right. Their mes- messaging and guidance has be- become a tool in and of itself that they have to be cognizant of. Um, so you know, we've talked about a lot of what we're looking out for in 2023. We can cover any other topics if you want to before we wrap up. I know we wanted to touch briefly on the Secure Act, uh, just to put it on our listeners' radar uh, before we wrap up here. Is there anything else from a market standpoint that you wanted to hit?
0: No, we'll continue to dive into these topics, and we got an inflation reading coming out on the 12th. That can't wait to see. And then, like I said, earnings coming, earnings kicking up here at around the end of uh this week so it's it's an exciting time to keep an eye on the markets and and keep our heads down
1: yeah so um before we sign off here we did want to just mention the secure act uh 2.0 i guess you could call it the first one was passed in 2019 and everyone is still digesting a lot of the the finer points of this new law but it will have an impact i think it's fair to say on a lot of our clients and our listeners. Um, you know, the most notable one for me, uh, notable rule change for me, is that obviously this doesn't matter to me specifically, but uh, the RMD age uh, getting bumped yet again from seventy two to seventy five, and uh, it doesn't but look it's like that's happening this year, right? Right, exactly. And so it's not happening overnight. It's going to be a phased out thing, and we're still learning more. We're you know reading sources on it, and we'll obviously connect with. Um, clients as as needed um but just something to put on the radar for people to be aware of um, because it impacts uh, a few different areas of saving for retirement and also things like rmds and otherwise
0: yeah and our colleague will be doing a presentation here janae and uh, in in some time once we get more more facts around it that we can push out to to our clients and should be a, a good a good piece so shout out to janae we'll be looking forward to hearing her presentation on, on Secure Act and some of the high points there.
1: Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beer Markets. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.